This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let us worship the Lord our God. Discern my thoughts from far away. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Holy God, our praises rise to you like the mists of the morning. In this hour, we open our hearts to you, grateful for life and breath that you provide to sustain us. We who are like trees planted by streams of living waters, fill us with the sunlight of your creation. 
that we may grow like trees planted in fertile ground by rich rushing rivers and return our adoration and the fruit which is the harvest of your love. In Christ we pray. You may be seated. Grace to you and peace from the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, both everyone gathered here in this sanctuary, as well as others worshiping in other locations. We are glad and grateful to gather together in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And because it is in Christ's name that we have gathered, that means our word of welcome is one that is unequivocal. All are welcome in Christ's house, so all are welcome here. But I'd like to ask everyone, members and guests alike, to join us for a brief time of fellowship at the conclusion of this service. That will take place in the Old Buttonwood Hall, which is just out this door to my right and down a short ramp. There you will find our deacons have prepared some light refreshments, but most importantly, the opportunity for us to engage more deeply with one another. We'd also be grateful if you would, each of you, sign the friendship pad, which you will find on your pew. Sign it, send it down the pew, and back again, even if you're the only one on the pew. And our deacons, our ushers, have asked if the last person to look at it could tear the sheet off and place it on top of it. Apparently, it takes a long time to get those collected, so you'd be doing our deacons a favor to, uh, to do that for them. I'd like to highlight a few things from the announcements portion of your bulletin for your particular consideration in the days and weeks to come. The first is to ask you to mark your calendars for September the 18th to come to church early. Come at 10 o'clock and enjoy brunch alongside our other service, our 9 o'clock service, so that our, those of us who worship at different times can be together. It was so much fun. We had the hymns thing and the celebration families joined us. Well, this is another opportunity to join with the celebration families for the Welcome Back Brunch on September 18th. Go ahead and come to the church anytime after 9.45. Our deacons will have a feast prepared for you then. Note as well that we're offering a new members class on September 25th. That'll take place from 10 to 2. It is held in person, but there is also an online option. So let me know if you would like to be a part of that. It does not matter whether you have worshipped with us a week or two or 10 or 12 years. We'd be delighted to receive you into membership at First Church if you feel that God is calling you to be part of our ministry here at First Church. The other items in the announcements I'll leave you to read at your leisure as we continue our worship now with our confession of sin. The proof of God's amazing love is this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. Christ even prays for us. With such assurance, we need not fear confession, but simply draw near to our Maker in candor. So before God and those we worship with, we stand beside the wrong in our lives and ask for forgiveness. First together, and then in silence. Let us pray. Holy God, you have called us by name. We belong to you. In our baptism, you have sealed us as your own. Your claim on our lives is total, complete. Yet we live at times as though there were parts of our life 
that do not belong to you, as though there are aspects of our being that are outside of your care. We hesitate to embrace the prayerful, abundant existence you crave for us. Forgive us, we pray, for clinging to less. Restore to us the knowledge that we are fearfully and wonderfully made by your own hand out of the overflowing of your love. Hear our prayers, O Lord. of our confession, Jesus says to us, to each one of us, go and sin no more, and offers us his invitation, come, follow me. Believe the promise of the gospel. Today's first lesson from the Old Testament and from the lectionary is from the book of Deuteronomy, the 30th chapter, beginning reading at the 15th verse. Listen for God's word. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today, by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways, and observing his commandments, decrees, and ordinances, then you shall live and become numerous. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But... If your heart turns away and you do not hear, but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall certainly perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying him and holding fast to him. For that means life to you and length of days, so that you may live in the land that the Lord swore to give to your ancestors to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. We are in the Gospel of Luke, 
in this season of the lectionary, and today's lesson comes from the 11th chapter of Luke's Gospel, a very familiar passage to all of us. Listen for the word of God. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. So Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Father, may your name be revered as holy. May your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, Do not bother me. The door has already been locked, and my children are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything out of friendship, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asked for a fish, would give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asked for an egg, would give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Starting next Sunday for five weeks, we will be in a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. This Sunday's sermon is a little bit more foundational. It's on prayer generally, but we'll be departing from the lectionary for at least a few of the lessons for each of those weeks. But I'd also like to invite you for a time of discussion following the sermon series, which will take place uh, after you have a chance to get a cookie at coffee hour and come up to the McCall room and we will, we will talk about what we have learned. For generations, the church used the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed as the basis for how to teach people about Jesus Christ and about God and about the Holy Spirit. So we will be standing in a long line of people who have learned about faith through the words of the Lord's Prayer as we encounter it during this five-week series. Our final lesson comes to us today from the letter to the Hebrews, the fourth chapter, verses 12 through 16. Continue to listen for the word of God to us this day. Indeed, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow, 
It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before him, no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Almighty, eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and indeed the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. <clears throat> Perhaps you remember Barbara Kingsolver's popular novel, The Poisonwood Bible. It is about a poorly prepared missionary journey. The Price family travels to a remote village where the previous missionary had little success. Nathan Price, a Baptist minister, appears to have received no training in how to be a missionary or even any preparation on how to live in a village in Africa. What he had was a grand vision of teaching the natives how to farm so that they might avoid the famines that had plagued their land and thereby winning them over to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Disaster ensues. The farming methods of rural Georgia don't work in the interior of Africa, but Price arrogantly resists the gentle nudges of the native people until his neatly hoed rows of seedlings wash away in torrential rains. Only then does he learn that he must bend his understanding of farming to a different continent. Finally, after he heeds the advice of his friends, his plants grow. 
Under the hot African sun, they grow tall and fast, but they bear no fruit because he failed to recognize that these particular plants needed particular pollinators that are not present. As the family faces overwhelming setbacks, Price becomes more and more abusive to his wife and his four daughters. He grows increasingly misogynistic in how he treats them, all while he cooks up one harebrained scheme after another, such as when he threw dynamite in the river in order to catch fish in an increasingly tone-deaf attempt, one after another, to win over the native population to the gospel, or at least to his version of the gospel. He grows harsher and more stubborn, and then when the missionary board tries to bring him home because the government is facing overthrow, he refuses and makes his wife and daughters stay as well. We encounter the story through the eyes of his daughters and his wife, and we hear their prayers through the pages of the novel. In so doing, we see the bleakness of their perspective. We read of their hopes and disappointments, of shattered dreams, and although it is just a novel, if you reacted as I did to it, perhaps you were left wondering, does prayer really matter? The author of Hebrews wants us to know unequivocally that we can approach God in prayer. In the stem-winding sermon that comprises the book, we are assured that Jesus Christ himself is our high priest interceding on our behalf so that we have no hesitation to approach the throne of grace. One scholar writes of this passage, the preacher's main purpose in this section is to encourage the congregation toward bold, even audacious prayer to approach the throne of grace with boldness. The preacher wants them to move past fearful prayers, tidy prayers, formal and distant prayers toward a way of praying that storms the gates of heaven with heartfelt cries of human need. He does not want them to pray like bureaucrats seeking a permit, but like children who cry out in the night with their fears, trusting that they will be heard and comforted. But that assurance may seem glib to those who feel their prayers are not heard. Jesus assumes that we will pray. <clears throat> Indeed, he teaches us how to, which we will explore over the next five weeks, as I noted. Given how much Jesus talks about prayer, I wonder if his disciples themselves even were a bit perplexed by the point of this particular faith exercise. Now, the Bible is made up of story after story after story of God's people crying out and being heard. God does hear our prayers, and God does care. 
But if, like me, you have had a season when perhaps it seems your prayers felt unanswered, maybe you also have asked the question, does prayer really matter? I think sometimes Christians forget the function of prayer. It becomes instead a litany of grievances just sanitary enough to say nothing so that we do not risk offending our God. It should not be that way. Prayer is so much more. Prayer is at its heart, it is lament. Prayer is subversive. Prayer is rejoicing. And prayer is thanksgiving. Prayer is a conversation with the Almighty. Its function is not to be lovely, to show off our piety, or to air a laundry list of what we think would be done in the world if only people saw things the way we do. No. Prayer is an intentional orienting of our lives toward the Holy One. It is the sharing of grace with one who loves us. If our creeds and confessions represent the intellectual ascent of faith, then surely prayer must be the language of our hearts, responding to God either out of deep gratitude or deep need. Firstly, prayer is lament. It is the voice of our hearts as we seek to express to God our deepest pain. Sometimes the church needs to make more room for lament. With the exception of the season of Lent, we tend to rush rather quickly toward the happy ending of the resurrection, forgetting that Jesus himself lamented. Jesus wept over the death of a friend. Jesus threw himself upon God's mercy in the garden. Jesus understood what it is to lament. And when, when we railroad straight past Good Friday to Easter, forgetting sorrow, then I think we shortchange the reality of sorrow. And God knows there are times when we need to feel our sorrow. There are times when a, a pietistic Christian response is the opposite of what is needed in our life of faith. But we resist that, probably because our culture frowns on what we call pity parties, and so we are tempted to dictate how long one should mourn the death of a spouse or a parent, a child or a marriage, or even the loss of a job. Impatiently, when the allotted time is up, we are expected to be on our way, healed and restored and whole. But grief doesn't really work that way, does it? A good friend of mine who was a therapist was leading a Kindermorn group. One night, a father grabbed him by his shoulders and yelled at him, I need to know how long it is going to hurt this bad. David replied, One year. It will hurt this bad for one year. 
And he said to me later, I have no idea if that is true. But he needed hope that it would get better because he had not been given a place for his lament to come out. Our prayers of lament open the windows of our souls in times of sorrow to allow in the fresh air of the God of hope. To believe in a God of redemption is to know that hope is always the final word. And when we carry with us loss and pain and need a place to feel these emotions, it is the heart of our humanity to voice our frustration. So let them fly. Remember in Forrest Gump, the scene where Lieutenant Dan, Forrest commanding officer, finally cracks. He can take it no longer. He has bottled up his rage against God for the loss of his legs, the loss of his dreams, his career. And finally, when Forrest shrimp boat is caught at sea in a hurricane, Lieutenant Dan steps, climbs onto the deck of the boat as the waves crash over him and the wind stings his face, and he has it out with the Almighty. He shakes his fist toward the stormy skies and rails at God until he is hoarse and exhausted. That's lament. And we worship a God who is big enough to take it. Are you anxious about offending God? God already knows what's going on in our hearts. As Hebrews said, nothing is hidden. When lament is what is needed, it is surely more honest to pray our lament than to pretend that everything is fine. Second, prayer is subversive. Now, perhaps not for us in our comfortable context, but make no mistake about it, prayer is subversive. Think of the faith expression of Christians of any oppressed community. Uh, if you need an example, contemplate for a moment the, the spirituals that are in our hymnal. Their rousing melodies and motivating words often inspire us to love to sing them, but taken in their original context, they have an edge that we sometimes may miss. My friend Nora Tisdale writes that spirituals were radically subversive hymns, often sung in the presence of their oppressors. Swing low, sweet chariot may sound like a journey to heaven, but sung in the bowels of a ship filled with enslaved people, it was a prayer to God to let down the lift and let these stolen people walk off that ship and go back home. Or that old song, Steal Away to Jesus. Nora said that Peter Paris observed that it takes on a sharper edge when people know that it is likely, it was likely written by Nat Turner, who called enslaved people literally to steal away in one of the largest slave revolts in history. Prayer is subversive when it voices the witness of a forbidden faith. Ask any Christian who lives where Christian faith is outlawed. There, prayer is not only a conversation with the Almighty, it is the very lifeblood of practice. It is storming the gates of heaven for relief from oppression. 
and prayer is also rejoicing. Have you ever been so happy that your heart was filled to overflowing? God, who knows our hearts when they are hurting, knows our hearts as well when they are joyful. Did not King David in the Old Testament dance for joy, more or less naked according to the story, as the Ark of the Covenant was carried into Jerusalem. David danced with reckless abandon for the joy he felt, and his dance was prayer. Was not bereaved Naomi's bitterness turned to joy with the birth of her daughter-in-law Ruth's son? Her joy bubbled up as a prayer. And perhaps we could even say that when Sarah laughed over the birth of her son, that that laughter was a prayer. Maybe we need to recover the language of rejoicing just as much as we need to recover the language of lament. I have experienced many wonderful emotions as I have celebrated communion through the years, but I will be honest with you. There are moments when joyful feast of the Lord is not the first thing that springs to mind as I am going through the communion liturgy. When I was living in Indianapolis, though, we, had, we actually had a joyful feast of the Lord, and nobody expected it. It was during Lent, so we were supposed to be thoroughly morose, but there was a jazz band that led the evening service every third week, and nobody told them that we were supposed to be contemplating our sins miserably. So they kicked into a rendition of Jesus Walked This Lonesome Valley, a theologically problematic hymn, if ever there was one, by the way, and the singer, whose weekday job was as a lounge singer, started singing, and she transported the congregation to a different place. We had smiles on our faces. Get that, Presbyterians rejoicing during communion in Lent. I'm sure it's a sign of the apocalypse. Prayer is as much the language of joy as it is the language of lament, and God delights in our joy just as God shares in our sorrow. And finally, prayer is thanksgiving. If subversiveness is the expression of faith and oppression, then surely thanksgiving must be the expression of faith for those who are not oppressed. And how often are our words thanksgiving and praise? The hymns we sing are prayers of praise and thanksgiving. The music, even the, one, even the parts that don't have words, are offered as prayer to God of thanksgiving. Consider the doxology we'll sing in just a few minutes. Now, many blessings in life are palpable. We can see them and touch them and feel them. Some blessings, though, are ethereal and known only to us and to God. 
But however we encounter the blessings of God, God is always the source of every blessing. So maybe sing those hymns loud and proud as we give thanks to Almighty God. When we pray, we orient our lives toward God. And, and I will grant, perhaps, sometimes it will feel like a one-sided conversation. But it is communing with God, nonetheless. And if I can say just one thing that you remember from this sermon, it's this. God really doesn't care about our eloquence. God cares about our prayers. Now, it may be that you have a hard time getting started, so if that is the case, you can begin by praying the Psalms. If you're new to the Bible, just crack it open right in the very center and you'll find the Psalms there. And th they were the prayer book of our ancient faith ancestors. There's joy, there's lament, there's thanksgiving, there's rejoicing. It's all there, ready to be used. Just open up and pray the Psalms. Our scripture this morning does, after all, tell us that it is right that we should pray, and Jesus teaches us how. It is right that we should pray as our hearts lead us. Most of all, in prayer, be honest with God, because we can fool ourselves, but we can't fool God who hears us and loves us. Prayer is lament, prayer is subversive, prayer is rejoicing, prayer is thanksgiving. Sometimes our prayers will come out as words, sometimes our prayers will come out as nothing more than a deep sigh. We are created to have a relationship with God, and prayer is the language by which that relationship is deepened. So yes, prayer really does matter. It is essential to the expression of faith. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen.
following faithful women and men before us over many centuries and in churches small and large, let us affirm the faith that has passed on to us in the words of the ancient baptismal creed of the church. What do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was crucified, dead, and buried. Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. You may be seated. As we receive God's love for us, we pledge our love in return, offered to God and to the world. As a sign of our gratitude, we bring tangible gifts from our abundance, a sharing of what we have for the common good of neighbor, of stranger, even of enemy. You may bring your offering to put in the place at the front of the sanctuary now or after the service, or you may make them online. Come cheerfully and give in gratefulness.
Let us pray. Gracious God, often we do not know how to pray. We come to you not knowing the words to say or unsure what to ask. Because we are not strong enough to pray as we should, you provide Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit to intercede for us in power. May prayer be for us like an open door into your presence. And may we have the courage to walk through the door, carrying with us those whom we would place into your presence. We pray today for your creation. You entrusted the earth to the human race, yet we disrupt its wholeness with violence and corrupt its purity with greed. Prevent us from destroying what you have made and called good so that our children's children may inherit lands and seas brimming with life and beauty. We pray today for the people of the world. Preserve the people of every nation from tyrants. Heal them of disease. Protect them in disaster and war and famine. Help all women, children, men, walk in the ways that lead to peace. Today, in particular, we carry to you the people of Ukraine and the people of Russia. Keep them in safety, protect them from violence and from the threat of nuclear accident. We bring the people of Pakistan, especially today, into your presence. Protect them in the midst of the floods. We bring the people of South Sudan into your presence. In their dire hunger, help the world to provide the daily bread that you have promised. And we bring the people of Mississippi into your presence. May city leaders and neighbors find ways to provide clean and safe water for all. We pray today for our city. Heal the rifts and fear caused by violence, by racism, by crime in our streets and schools. Protect all of our city's children and all of our teachers as they go back to school. May their schools be places of safety, hope, and joy. We pray today for our country. Give wisdom to those who govern us, to our president and our Congress and our courts. Keep safe those who protect us from danger. And as we approach the time of election, help us to hold on to truth, to trust one another, to remain open to those with whom we differ. 
Form us as a nation where justice flows like life-giving water. We pray today for this church. Strengthen its leaders. We carry into your presence Farron and Megan, Jerry, Andrew, Annie, Sue, and Nicholas. And we pray for our deacons and elders ordained and installed to service. Sustain them and give them the energy of your Holy Spirit so that they may give others new life and hope and may welcome all who enter our doors. Eternal God, your love is stronger than death. Today we rejoice in the lives of those who have died in faith. In particular today, with gratitude, we remember Frederick Buechner, Presbyterian minister and writer who inspired many with his words of beauty and truth. And we remember with gratitude Mikhail Gorbachev, who had the courage to bring a Cold War to its end and to envision a new world where people of East and West would one day sit down as neighbors. Keep us in joyful communion with them until we join the saints of every nation gathered before your throne in ceaseless praise. We pray all these things and carry all these dear ones through Christ, with Christ, in Christ, in the mystery of the Holy Spirit, in the name of the triune God. And we pray together the prayer that Christ taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
like any muscle, prayer is an aspect of the life of faith that must be used to be strengthened. But don't let that intimidate you. I'm reminded of a quote from Meister Eckhart that if the only prayer we ever said was thank you, it would be enough. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace both this day and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.